0: You and I don't have to overcome the world. We don't have to guarantee elections or bank accounts or health or anything else that the society puts pressure on us that we have to do this or that. We have to keep our head in the yoke, as we learned last week. And that yoke that is yoked with our Savior Jesus leads to an easier, light Affliction that is but for a moment, that works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And we're going to see where the end of the Christian life is today. And I read it a little bit at the beginning of our communion time, and we'll see it again in uh, 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, This is right after sin is eliminated. All those who reject Jesus Christ are off of the scene. And now there are only people entering this new heaven and new earth as a holy city of the new Jerusalem. These are people coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride Adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as God. And this ties a lot of our text that we saw from Second uh, Corinthians and all the rest of the Bible together. This finally is what God intended for humanity. From the Garden of Eden for all eternity, this is what God wanted. And this is what's best for us now, and this is what's going to be perfectly best for us for all time. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What causes us to cry today? We're not going to have anything to cry about in verse 4 because there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no mourning. There's going to be no crying. There's going to be no more pain. It's a good day as the older you get that you don't have some sort of pain or you don't have acute pain or severe pain, pain that you can just kind of live with. But imagine every day in eternity waking up, no pain, no pain, no pain, no Advil, no morphine, no no anything, definitely no cannabis. No more pain, no alcohol, no drugs, nothing. You've got to dull the pain of life. You will not need to dull the pain because there won't be any more pain. How do we know that? Because God will be perfectly with us, perfectly. That's Revelation 21, 1-4. Now, He is with us in the person of the Spirit inside of us. But Jesus is at heaven right now at God's right hand, interceding for us, and we can't see him. And we want to see him, and we can't right now. But one day when we will see him and we'll want to look at him forever and ever, there will be no pain, no crying, no death. Why? Because of the end of verse four says, the former things have passed away. What causes death and mourning and crying and pain? Our lust, our sin, leads to our death. That's the progression in, in James one. Christ defeated lust, Christ defeated temptation and sin, and Christ defeated death it's just a matter of time. Satan's head is crushed. The snake is still wiggling, but he is not alive. He's dead. His head is crushed. He's a defeated foe. How do we know he's a defeated foe? The cross and the empty tomb. Satan appeared to have his way at the cross it was obvious he didn't have his way at the end of the cross, and it was very, very clear at the empty tomb. It will be obvious one day, all those who are following the sons of disobedience, as Ephesians 2 said, they will be wrong, and Christians will, be, will appear to be right. We, don't, we want to be right. Who wants to be on the wrong side? side of history? Who wants to be on the wrong team? Who wants your team to go to the Super Bowl and then lose? No. But one day, Christ will clearly, unmistakably, without much effort, he will win. Revelation 19, Revelation 20. And when he wins, there will be only a place, a new place without defilement and a relationship with God that he is perfectly with us. Verse five, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. So John is observing this at the end of the first century, and he wants, there are certain things about heaven that the apostle Paul and others weren't allowed to write down, but here, um, they're allowed John uh, is allowed to write this down okay write this down the, these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end who is that who's talking that has to be Jesus because that's how revelation the book starts with Jesus is the alpha and the omega in revelation chapter 1 and he's going to tie a lot of uh, isaiah and other other prophecies and then when jesus was here the first time he told people look the woman at the well i'll give you i'll quench your thirst and you'll never be thirsty again and he ties all these the prophecies his first coming together here in the final days and he says to the thirsty i will give from the spring of water life without payment that sounds exactly like isaiah 55. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And that was mentioned in all of chapter 20. God is perfect. So the hope of heaven, God is perfectly with us. Second, the hope of heaven is God is going to be perfectly revealed to us. The Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything in the middle. Life is all about Jesus. The rest is just details. When we don't get that, when we take our head out of that yoke and try to live without Jesus life's harder. You put your head back in the yoke, life is easier. And it's always like that. God is not going to be mocked. Uh, His word is true and trustworthy. You can write it down. You can take it to the bank. It is always so. God is perfectly revealed to us. How? In verse 5, he has, uh, because of his sure character, 5 to 7. And then, the sure exclusion of these sins and sinners, unrepentant, unforgiven sinners are not going to be in heaven. Why? Because of God's Son. John 3, 3.18 and 3.36 also say the same thing that Revelation 21.8 tells us. Revelation 21.9 to verse 21 talks about uh, the, uh, what John sees. As the dimensions and uh, the bride, uh, the wife of the Lamb. Some people think it's the bride is just the church, but there are twelve tribes of Israel mentioned. Um, The gates are the gates of uh, twelve angels, and on the gates I'm looking at verse twelve. And on the gates, the name of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. So this is the Old Testament believers, and then the the uh, twelve names of the twelve apostles are on the foundation. And those are the New Testament church, so Old Testament saints, New Testament saints are all part of this bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he measures how big this city is, the dimensions, verses 15 and following. It's about 1,500 miles uh, cubed, or even if it's a, a pyramid, it would still be the same dimensions, length, breadth, and height and what it's like um, the street let's look at verse 21 the 12 gates were 12 pearls each of the gates made of a single pearl enormous pearls and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass verse 22 and i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb so there's not going to be a temple where there are going to be sacrifices. There's not going to be any more sacrifices. And there's not going to be a temple where people are going to gather together to give of their money, to give of their time, their prayers. Uh, And a priest is not going to be required to stand between a sinful people and a holy God. No, there's no temple in this city. Why? Because its temple is the Lord God. You're not going to have to come to God through a temple because you're going to be in the presence of the Lord, God, the Almighty and the Lamb." Verse 23. We're in Revelation 21:23. "And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God is radiating so much to have more than half of the United States covered in light, that's how big 1,500 miles uh, cubed is, plus 1,500 miles high, and we're not going to be in a dimly lit heaven. It's going to be bright. This is how God can say, let there be light and let there be darkness, and there's no sun or moon or stars until day four of creation, and there's still light. Where does the light come from? In Genesis 1, it has to come from the, the glory of God. And so it is here. We aren't going to need a sun or a moon to shine in this new city. Verse 24, by its light, the light of the glory of God and the Lamb, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. All kings like David and other godly kings of Israel, possibly Nebuchadnezzar, Other kings who turned from their sin trusted Christ alone as their Savior. Uh, The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It's not about these kings. They're not even mentioned by name. They're not really that important. (laughs) It's all about the glory of God and the Lamb. Verse 25, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It's always light the gates are shut because to keep uh, danger out, to keep enemies out, there's no more enemies. The gates can stay open. It's like keeping your house unlocked and open and your car unlocked and you're like, eh, no, (laughs) most of us don't do that because there's someone who's going to, thieves are going to break in and steal something. There's no more thieves. Verse 26, and they will bring into it the glory of, and the honor of the nation. So the best of all of earth, the kings and all the glory of nations are going to be brought in, but it's all going to be focused on the glory of God and of the Lamb. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, anything that God hates, that's done. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because those who aren't are mentioned at the end of chapter 20. So only those from all time who trusted in a coming Messiah and those of us living after the Messiah, trusting in a have-come Messiah. Verse chapter 22 now, verse 1. Then the angel showed me this bright um, as crystal flowing, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of this uh, river, The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer, this is the third or fourth time we have, no longer will there be this or that. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Perfect holiness, perfect majesty, perfect power, perfect love, perfect everything. And his, and uh, if you're with us Wednesday nights, Wednesday mornings, the word there is slave. And his slaves will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Number three, our hope is that God will be perfectly worshipped by us. And our final hope, the hope of our message today, is in verses 6 to 21. Verse 6, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his, is our word again, slaves, what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Now, you have a red-letter Bible. This is the words of Jesus. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angels who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So we, his slaves, know what is coming. Here's our final hope. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now, if you saw the picture that I picked that's not visible, <laughs> was bright clouds, and there are people that are gathered that are pointing to the bright clouds, and one lady is jumping in the arms of her husband, smiling, He is finally here. He's coming again. He says that here in the final chapter of our Bible. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one. You will be happy who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So what do we do because he's coming soon? In verse 7, we obey. We obey what he says. Why? Because he's coming soon. We're headed for heaven. How do we know we're headed for heaven? Because of his word, because of his promise, because of his character, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. And finally here, because of his word that he is coming to get us. He's coming soon. And then John, overwhelmed with what he sees and what he hears and what he's writing, he falls down to worship the angel. And the angel says what Peter says whenever uh, Cornelius was going to worship him in Acts 10. Peter says, no, 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 don't worship me. Um, But the angel says, no, I'm just the, the fellow slave. I'm just a fellow slave, okay? We're all slaves here together. There's only one master. It's Jesus. It's the Lamb. It's God the Father. We're all just here for worshiping him, all right? We're all so happy to be here. And with you, your brothers, the prophets, this is how the prophets saw themselves in relation to God. And with those who keep the words of this book, all faithful Christians uh, down through the ages, here's what we're going to be here to do. We're just here to worship God. Give him the glory that's due his name. So we worship only God. We only worship God. We don't worship people on earth. We don't want anyone want, we don't want anyone to worship us. We are not in the same category of God the Father or the Lamb. That is clear throughout the book of Revelation. No one was able to open the book to judge the nations, and no one is able to <laughs> do what Jesus does in all of the Bible, especially Revelation. Solely, it's Jesus who has all those names, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, a name that no one knows, All uh, the robe dipped in blood. All of that is unique to Jesus alone. And here's what we're going to do because he's coming again. We're going to worship only God, and it's going to be perfect. We get a little taste when we come, when you and I come to not think about, oh, I hope they pick the songs I like, or I hope that pastor tells funny stories, or I hope I get something out of the message today. No, if you come to give glory to God, to give your voice, to give your money, to give your attention, to give your fellowship to other people, to give uh, you're provoking one another to love and good works as you gather together as God's people. If you're here to give, then you're here to worship God. This is what God saved you to do. He saved you to give, and that's worship. So we worship only God, verses 8 and 9. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. So when Daniel writes in Daniel's book, he seals up the words. It, it's, it's possible that what Daniel writes in his book and Daniel is, is the scroll that is open uh, of the judgments that are poured out from Revelation 6 to 19, that uh, the end of chapter 5 of Revelation is uh, focused on who is worthy to open the scroll. But now uh, the angel tells John, what you're seeing, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So why why isn't he sealing up revelation to be revealed later? It's so that we can all see it now. Why do we need to see it? So that we'll be encouraged with hope. There is a future that is sure for all of us who know Christ. It's the hope of heaven. And we are his slaves in heaven with the angels who are fellow slaves. And we're just about obeying Jesus and worshiping God. And let's see what uh, the time is near, verse 10, verse 11. Let the evil do or still do evil. So now the angel's talking about in John's day uh, and in our day, there are going to be people who don't want Jesus. They don't want to worship God. They don't want to obey him. They don't want anything to do with him. And the angel says to John, let the evil do or still do evil, and the filthy will still be filthy, and the righteous will still do what's right, and the holy will still be holy. There's a distinction here between the evildoer and the filthy, and the righteous and the holy, just like we we see in Second Corinthians six. Be separate from the world. Live holy, righteous lives. Worship God alone. Don't worship people. Don't worship things. Don't give yourself and your time, and think day and night how you can get ahead financially. We all need finances, we all need jobs, we all need relationships. But we're really here to worship God. And all those things will be added to us. Verse 12, again Jesus speaks, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So, what are we telling people in verses 10 through 13? Jesus is coming soon, and he's going to judge, he's going to judge you. If you're going to be the filthy and the, uh, verse uh, 11, if you're going to be the evildoer and the filthy, God's going to judge you. And he tells you in Revelation 20 where your eternity is headed, and it's not pleasant. And if you want to, if you want Jesus righteousness and you want to worship God, you want Jesus to wash away your sins so that you can live a righteous, holy life, then you have to realize that life is all about Jesus. He is what what does it say here in verses 13, in verse 13? I'm the Alpha and Omega. Again, it says this I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. Life is all about me. This is what the whole Bible is about. Humanity exists for God. Whether humanity likes that fact or not, that does not change the fact that we were made by God and for God. And we as believers are, love that fact and are learning how to live that fact. That life is all about Him. I would have nothing without Jesus. I would be nothing. I would have no hope. I would be dead in my trespasses and sins without Jesus. But by grace I've been saved. By Jesus' grace. Jesus' blood. And it's all about Him. And His coming soon motivates me with this hope, I've got to live for him. I just have to live for him. That's it. I just have to live for him. He's the only thing worth living for because he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. There's nothing else worth living for if it's not Jesus. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes and so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates outside of the city. And again, he goes back to a comparison uh, that is similar to verses 8 and 9. Outside the city, which is in John's day, Apostle John's day, as it is in our day, outside of Jesus, outside of those who are in him, there are dogs that are uh, people who are um, unfaithful to God. They are sorcerers. They are sexually immoral. They are murderers. They are idolaters. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Everyone who wants to live life for themselves. The dogs possibly are male prostitutes. Okay, all kinds of perverted immorality, idolatry, and this is what's going on in our culture, in the cultures of our world. This is what's going on, has gone on since um, the fall of man. And it has gotten worse and worse. It got so bad that God wiped the earth with a flood, and it's come back with a vengeance now. And we're told in Second Timothy, this is, this is the end, end times, it's going to be like this. There are going to be all kinds of immorality and sorcery and um, murdering and idolatrous. We're even making laws now to protect abortion. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood, this is opposite of worshiping God. This is, the, this is uh, a more... Uh, more um, description of verse 11 the evildoer is still going to do evil and the filthy is still going to be filthy and the righteous are going to be opposite of the evildoer and the holy are going to be opposite of the filthy so what are we doing with uh, let's read down to verse 19 i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches now, he's writing to seven churches, and some of them are faithful, and some of them are less faithful, and some of them are obedient, and some of them are very disobedient in Revelation 2 and 3. And he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Uh, the prophecy from second, or the uh, covenant God made with David in 2 uh, Samuel 7, and reiterated in the Psalms, and then in Isaiah, And as Jesus comes, as He says He is the offspring of David, and He is the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So the Holy Spirit and those of us who are redeemed are saying to Jesus one thing, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come to the one who is coming. Let the one who desires to take of water of life without price. Again, Isaiah 55. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book, and no one wants to be in that category. Verse 19. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share, take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book, and no one wants to be there either. So what are we doing with verses 14 to 19? We as his slaves know what is coming. We trust in his word. We trust in God's word. These are summary statements that tie a lot of the Old and New Testament together here at the end of our Bibles. And God's word is trustworthy. What Jesus promised, he fulfilled And what he promised to evildoers, he's going to fulfill. So turn from, come to Jesus, is verse 17. And if you want rid of your filth and your murderous idolatry, sexual immorality, you want rid of your filthy, evildoing lifestyle, come to Jesus and he will cleanse you. He'll give you his righteousness. He'll give you the right to the tree of life. He'll give you the right to live and enter by the gate that you belong to God's family forever and ever. We trust His Word, and we encourage other people, trust the Word. Trust the Word. When we share the gospel, I'm giving as much of the gospel as someone can handle and explaining it to them and telling them, trust the Word. Turn from your sin. Your sin can be cleansed. Why? Because God promises cleansing. If you turn away from Jesus and the one hope of eternal life, you will not go to heaven. You're not part of God's family. No one sneaks in without trusting the word. Because our hope that Jesus is coming again, we trust his word. And finally, the last two verses. He who testifies to these things says, and now we have the last red letters in our Bible, surely I am coming soon. Verse 7 says that. Verse 12 says that. And the last thing Jesus says to us, his church, waiting for him to come, he says, surely I'm coming soon. Don't think he's delayed at his coming. That's how unsaved people who don't know Jesus and don't want him to come are thinking. We want him to come soon. We're expecting and our hope rises as every time he says, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. Our hope gets, we get more and more excited and thrilled about this. And verse 20 says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And if he's writing to these seven churches in the middle of the Roman Empire at the end of the first century, they have uh, idolatry and immorality in them and around them and a Roman Empire who is not pleased that they won't worship Caesar with them. And what hope these churches have. The same hope we have. He's coming soon. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us as it was with them. So what does our life look like? We pray that Jesus would come soon. How many times have you prayed this last week, Jesus, come soon? Let me encourage you as part of your regular routine of a day, morning, noon, night, all three Make it a habit. Jesus comes soon. Why? Why would we say that? Because when we do, we are putting ourselves in the faithful, righteous, holy, slave of Jesus. We're just here to worship God. That's all we're doing. It puts us in the right frame of mind, obedient to our Savior, expecting and ready for Him to come. Wanting for Him to come and set everything right wanting Him to judge the immorality and the sorcery and the murders and the idolatry and the filthy and the evil. It's running rampant. It's destroying people all around us, and we're feeling the effects of it, and it causes us to be overwhelmed. But We have a hope of heaven, and here's our hope, that God is perfectly with us, that God will be perfectly revealed to us, that God is perfectly worshipped by us, and that Jesus is coming again to bring all of those things to pass. That's how our Bible ends, and that's how we should hope. Let's pray. Our wonderful God, we can get so easily discouraged with life here and distracted by what's really important. And I think it's pretty clear here from the last two chapters what really is important. What will last forever. You and your word and people. And I pray that we would spend our time knowing you through your word. Obeying what we see and worshiping you in the beauty of holiness. And helping others to come worship with us. Help us to trust your word and hope and heaven for all eternity. That's where we really are seated. Already we're there in your mind. Help us to be in our mind already there too. And use us to help others this week to trust you, to trust your word, to stop fighting and stop living wicked lives apart from you. I pray that we would show people submissive slavery to you and you alone and living only for your approval and that's all that matters. And I pray that we would give give us opportunities to share of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. Use us this week, the week that we are most thankful for our Savior and what he has done. Use us to help others to be thankful as well. Bring other people into your kingdom for your glory so that more of your creation would be redeemed. More people would gather around your throne one day and sing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To receive honor and glory and majesty and power and dominion both now and forever. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.